Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Hey, we're so glad that you're with us today. Thank you for listening to the Sword and the Trowel. We want to talk to you about our fam. Are you a part of the fam, Tom? I am part of the fam. Are you deep into the fam? I am so deep into the fam that I can't be found. Are you out there in the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women? <laughs> or are you up in the, I'm the, in the inner high? sanctum? All right. Inner I'm talking sanctum. about that because the fam is the Founders Alliance members. These are the brothers and sisters and pastors and church leaders and all of our friends that join us, supporting us every month. And you can come in at three different levels. There is the trowel subscription, there's the shield subscription, and there's the sword subscription. And depending on what you come in, it comes at a different level, uh, a different investment monthly. You can find this out on founders.org. But the key is we resource the fam, depending on what level you come in. And because of the fam, we get to do all kinds of cool stuff we haven't been able to do before, like this very studio in which we are having the sword and the trowel today. And so one of the things that you're going to get being a part of the fam is access to the Founders Armory. This is exclusive content that Founders Ministries is producing. We're starting with Pastor Tom and the Pastoral Epistles. You're teaching, walking through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and that is going to be resourced to those who join us. So to join the fam, go to founders.org. In our first segment today, we want to talk about public prayer. Let us pray. Let us pray. Has Jesus taught us how to pray? He has taught us how to pray. He's given us the model prayer. He's you tell also me I can pray wrong? He, I tell you, you do pray wrong. Yeah, I can pray wrong. <laughs> Not only can you, you have. How's who are you that? to tell me about my, I like to be led by the Spirit and pray hey, how hey, I feel hey, led. Bro. Hey, bro, I know you. You know me? I know you. How well? I know you pretty well. <laughs> but I know that like me, you are a sinner, and therefore your prayers need the intercession not only of Jesus in oh. heaven, but the Spirit on earth. You can make people so insecure about their prayer life. No, man, I'm going to make them completely dependent upon God. <laughs> do tell. Tell us more, please. Whatever do you mean, Tom? Well, in Romans 8, the Spirit makes intercession with us with groanings that cannot be uttered when we don't know what to pray. Okay. And in heaven, Jesus himself is there interceding for us. Mm-hmm. And so we should always go with boldness, with confidence to the throne of grace because we're not going on our own. We're not going in our own strength. We're not going dependent upon our ability to say it just right or remember everything. We go knowing that we have God on our side. In fact, the, the very desire we have to go to God in prayer is given to us by God. Mm-hmm. So we should be full of hope and confidence, not in ourselves, but in him. Okay, but I'm talking about praying right or praying wrong. It seems to be you're saying there's kind of a standard for prayer, which seems to make people feel intimidated. You feel like, well, okay, you know, am I praying really good? Am I not praying really good? It would be and, well, but nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that there's actually a way to pray more better than other ways of praying. And if that makes you feel insecure, well, you just got to come to the word and realize it shouldn't make you feel that way. But indeed, there is a standard for prayer. There's instruction about how we are to pray. Yeah, and we should grow in our ability to pray, both privately and publicly. And uh, what you and I were talking about earlier and what Charles Spurgeon has dedicated a whole chapter in his book, Lectures to My Students On, is public praying or the Mm -hmm. pulpit prayer. This is something very important for pastors. Um, When We talk a lot about public prayer, our our pastoral prayers, amongst ourselves as elders here at Grace Baptist Church uh, for multiple reasons. One of the things that is a fact that often gets overlooked in public praying is that when you are praying publicly to God, 
you also are instructing others about prayer. Mm-hmm. So if you pray well, you're encouraging others to learn to pray well. If you pray poorly, you are encouraging others that you're leading in prayer to pray poorly. So that public prayer in times of corporate worship is vitally important for on multiple levels, and that's not uh, the only one, but that is an important one we should never lose sight of, is we are discipling people how to pray mm-hmm. when we pray. I remember you brought this up one time with our elders and you said, man, let's just be mindful about how we're praying. If we're just using the Lord's name a whole bunch, we're just using it in vain and teaching other people. We need to beware of this, beware of this. And I thought, man, this is so intimidating. Well, how Jared, many you times? know how it is, Jared. Whenever people, Jared, you just use your name, Jared. You mean, Jared, you know how it is? I'm offended. Lord, Lord, I'm but offended. Lord, but Lord, and Lord, Lord, Lord. And that comes from Spurgeon. It does come it's from Spurgeon. It's Spurgeon here in lectures to my students that says, uh, beware of using God's name as a stopgap to make up for your want of words. So, um, again, we're really not trying to make anybody feel intimidated. No, or and, and there are even prayers in Scripture in which the Lord's name is used more than just at the beginning right. or at the end. And so it's, it's not like you should avoid entirely, but you should think about what you're saying and mean what you're saying and ensure that you're not just throwing the Lord's name in there. Spurgeon says a number of things. Uh, he tells uh, pastors to avoid vulgarities in prayer, which I always think that's probably a good thing Don't curse to do. when you pray. Don't right? curse when you pray. All right, check. Um, he says, avoid that kind of prayer, uh, which may be called a sort of preemptory demanding of God. So don't go yeah. on to where you seem to be kind of bossing God around. God around. We want to pray earnestly. Uh, but we want to pray with reverence, recognizing that we're talking to Almighty God. Uh, he, says, he gives another one here. A fault equally to be avoided in prayer is an unhallowed and sickening superabundance of endearing words. When mm. dear Lord or blessed Lord. This is pretty common in our day. You know, many prayers start out in our day, dear Lord. I'm not saying that's wrong or sinful. I'm saying that it's probably not as thoughtful as we could uh, strive to be mm. in how we address God. If mm. we would just use some of the biblical forms in addressing God. Oh God, our Father, Lord. I mean, mm-hmm. all of these things are given to us in, in the Bible. Dear Lord isn't found in the Bible. Mm. One of the probably key points that Spurgeon makes here, which I've been challenged by, is he says, pray when you profess to pray and don't talk about it. And he says, uh, there's this, um, he says, disquisitions upon our need of help in prayer are not prayer. Why? Do not men go at once to prayer? Why stand beating about the bush instead of saying what they ought to do and want to do? Why not set to work in God's name and do it? He says, especially as, as a minister before congregation, bring your people, all the different types of people that are gathered there. Bring the people that are struggling with anxiety, the people that are struggling with depression, and the people that have just gone through financial loss, and the people mm-hmm. that are experiencing some kind of blessing in the Lord. And and consider those who are outside of Christ in your congregation and get down into the furrow of real prayer, um, bringing those needs to God, asking Him to provide for them at their point of need. How long should pastoral prayers be? You know, the Puritans say, you know, it shouldn't be really be too long. Only so 45 just maybe, minutes. Yeah, maybe 15 minutes. No, 45 you know, minutes for the 45 Puritans. minutes. Yeah. You got an actual document of 45 minutes? Somebody, Spurgeon. Spurgeon. He says 45? Absolutely. Well, he says you shouldn't do 45. Well, he said the Puritans did, but you're not a Puritan. That's right. So How long? Yeah, well, Spurgeon uh, commends 10-minute prayers. So in his day, 10 minutes was acceptable. Today, it's probably going to be shorter than that. 
just don't pray too long. That's the challenge. You know, don't pray till you lose people. He talks about Whitfield, I think it is, in this chapter, saying the man prayed me into a right frame of mind. <laughs> and prayed me, prayed right, me right out of it. Out. Yeah, so you don't want to do that. You don't want to weary people. And uh, I think that's different for different uh, settings, different times in the life of a church, and different times in the life of the man leading the prayer. Yeah. Yeah, Spurgeon's got good stuff on prayer in his lectures to my students. John Bunyan's got a great book on prayer as well. So when we come back, we're going to be talking about a book that we both appreciate. So we'll see you in a minute. Founders Ministries has been able to do what we've been doing for 35 years because people have joined with us and become part of our family. Today, I'm inviting you to become a part of the Founders Fam as well. Become a Founders Alliance member. You can do this at different levels as you contribute to the work that Founders is engaged in. By going to founders.org, you can see that you can give at the trowel level, you can give at the shield level, or you can give at the sword level. And if you give at any level, we're going to send you a Founders package of materials materials. We have other exclusive material that we would make available to you as well as you contribute to help us build this ministry for the glory of God. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trial. We're glad to have you with us today. And in this segment of the show, we want to talk about a book that both of us have benefited from. And it's a book that is not widely known, but it needs to be better known. It's called Teaching Truth and Training Hearts. The Study of Catechisms and Baptist Life by Tom Nettles with Steve Weaver. Hey, I know the people that publish this. Yeah, do you know Steve? Were you in school with Steve? No. You were? Yes. Okay. Yes, I was with Steve. I think you were. I think y'all both were doing your PhD at Southern at the That's same right. time. He's up in Kentucky. He is. But you know the publishers of this book. I do. Who I'm are, looking who, at them. <laughs> yeah, we published this book, Founders Press did. Uh, Tom Nettles, as you may or may not know, if you don't know, you need to know, has given a great deal of time to researching uh, Baptist heritage and particularly Baptist confessions and catechisms. So Tom has uncovered a bunch of old Baptist catechisms and he's brought them to light in this book. So in this book, you have introductions and analyses of different catechisms that Baptists have produced throughout history. Is catechizing important? Well, let me ask you this okay, before well, you ask me you that. You want to ask a question first? I want to ask the first question. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, ready. I'm ready. May I ask another yeah, one? Yeah, you can do it. May I ask another one? Just okay. one. I've already asked three. You asked right. four. I'm going to ask a fourth question right now. When did you first hear about catechisms? Before you were 10? No. Before you were 20? Mm-mm. Before you were 25? I might have heard it first from you. Okay. Maybe. It was either you or like maybe a month before you. Okay. It wasn't until I was in my 20s. So sometime in the last 10 years. I'd say or 20s. So. Yeah. Okay. When I first, all I knew about catechisms is that they were Roman Catholic, maybe Lutheran. You know, I didn't even know Presbyterians did catechisms. That's how out of touch I was. Till I was at seminary and was introduced to catechisms by Tom Nettles. And then all of his work, now, not all of it, but a bunch of his work has been put together in this book. So in this book, you have Baptist catechisms by John Broadus. Did you know Broadus had a catechism? Do you know mm. Boyce had a catechism? Are these Baptists? These are Baptists. Aren't, aren't Baptists no creed but Christ? Exactly. And because of that, we have catechisms. <gasps> With creeds? <laughs> we have creeds. We have confessions. We these have are catechism. historic catechisms. And cate- it, you asked the question, is it important to catechize? Absolutely. You know, I've sat in a lot of classrooms over the course of my life, spent a lot of time in formal education, but I can tell you that the time I spent catechizing my own children was mm. as valuable to, valuable to me 
spiritually and theologically as almost any of those classes that I've ever taken because I was helping my children to develop a framework to think about the Bible, which a good catechism will do, and also to anticipate apologetically some of the questions and challenges that will come from uh, different spheres to the faith. Mm. So I benefited. One of the things we've seen in our church is we've commended the, the work of catechizing children is that the adults get it, and it benefits the parents. That certainly was true for my uh, life, my, me and my wife, but it was also we're seeing that bear out in other people in the church. There's been a bit of a renewal about this. You know, there's different catechisms that have come out recently, and people are talking about family worship mm. in more of the broader evangelical world. Um, but I've found that um, catechism, family worship, is really fun when you rediscover it. You go, yeah. okay, hey, great. I mean, look at this. We're catechizing. And then you realize it is a work. It is a labor. Yeah, it, is. it takes uh, self-control to sit down and say, okay, well, here we are, in a way that's not uh, arduous, that's not over the top. Right. It just stresses everybody out in the family. You're full of joy and um, full of song, that kind of thing. But also catechism is a, is a back and forth, this question yeah. and answer, and working at it. Uh, continually as the catechism builds upon itself and the children are able to remember. Right. One resource we have that's very helpful in this, actually one of the catechisms in this book, Founders produces a CD. Uh, the Baptist catechism is set to music mm-hmm. and these little jingles. And mm-hmm. we do that. We put it in our car. And so we're driving down the road and we've got these jingles going. And that it, it's extraordinary how the music helps the children to remember the catechism especially uh, the Baptist catechism, because it has longer answers right. than some of our children's catechisms that we use. And for, to help them lock them in, that CD has been very helpful. Yeah, I encourage parents to begin to catechize their children, no matter how old they are. And pastors, I would encourage you to get a hold of this book and others as well, Teaching Truth and Training Hearts, just so that you can get introduced to how Baptists have used catechisms throughout history. And the introductions by Tom Nettles and uh, Steve Weaver to the Orthodox Catechism, it's invaluable. So you'll benefit from this, not just historically, but theologically, spiritually, and practically. Very good. When we come back, we're going to be talking more about the commands of God that we find in Scripture. One of the most important issues going on in the world right now are issues over justice and social justice. So Founders Ministries is going to be holding a national conference in Louisville, Kentucky, downtown at the Seelbach Hotel, May 14th through May 16th, in which we're going to address these issues and seek to bring biblical clarity to all of the confusion that's going on right now. We are only 15 minutes away from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And you can tell by my tie that it is a biblical spirituality tie, which means I am a PhD graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Believe it or not, I'm not the only speaker that's going to be there that is a doctoral graduate of Southern Seminary. If four, four of the men who will be speaking at this conference are doctoral graduates, of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of which is uh, Dr. Josh Bice, the leader of the G3 conference in Atlanta, Georgia. We're also gonna have other speakers like Pastor Tom Askell, who's the president of Founders Ministries and who has been heavily involved in the work of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary throughout the years and the professors that are there. Dr. Tom Nettles, who is the former professor of historical theology there at Southern Seminary is going to be speaking as well. So we wanna have a big family reunion. If you're at Southern Seminary as a student or a professor, come join us, drive 15 minutes downtown 
to the Seelbach Hotel, and we'll see you May 14th through the 16th. I almost forgot. Since I'm an alum of Southern Seminary and so many of our speakers are alumni of Southern Seminary, we're actually going to offer a discount to all Southern Seminary students. So when you go to founders.org and you register for the conference, make sure to check out that discount. And since we're good Christians, we're actually going to do that for anybody who's a student at any of our seminaries. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trowel with Jared Longshore and I'm Tom Askell. Today we want to talk to you about the commandment that Jesus gave to the whole world. Mm. He gave it in response to a question about what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew so twenty-two thirty-seven. We are commanded to love God and to love God comprehensively love him supremely. Mm. So you can't really do anything in obedience to God if you're not loving God. Mm. So there's no way to look at the commandments in the scripture and say, okay, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. If you are not devoted in your heart supremely to God, and you cannot be devoted in your heart supremely to God without faith in Jesus Christ, which is that which keeps us from falling into moralism or legalism. So the, the law was never given to us by God as a ladder by which we climb up to him to find acceptance. It was always given to show us our need and to reveal to us that we do not have what we need and that we need someone or some, some uh, gift from outside of us in order to meet the requirements and to show us what God does require, what mm-hmm. is good and what is right. Yeah. It was Jonathan Edwards who introduced to me this uh, division or understanding of a love of complacence and a love of benevolence. And uh, when, so what's <laughs> the difference? When I tell people about this, I say love, love of complacent. It was being complacent. It's sitting it's a, back. It's apathetic. It's beholding it? the beauty of, of the beloved. So for my wife, if it's a lovely day outside, it's a summer day down here in, in warm, sunny Southwest Florida, and you know the birds are chirping in the background, and I'm beholding her beauty, and I'm saying, "Oh, I love my wife." Well, I'm not, I'm not doing anything for her in that moment, but I am complacently enjoying the mm. beauty of my beloved. Whereas a a benevolent love is like a benevolence offering; it's sacrificial love. I'm I'm here to serve. I'm here to seek the welfare or bless the one that I love, but. You know, I realize there's a there's an important connection between they're not they're not you can talk of them as right. two things, but if I'm if I'm going to love someone benevolently, that springs forth from some somewhere. So mm-hmm. uh, the glory of God that He has revealed to us in His Word and creation in Christ, we behold His glory, we behold His beauty, we love Him by um, seeing just how wonderful He is. And that uh, wells up within us a love that wants to serve him, that wants to proclaim his excellencies in the world. And if we're not doing that, often what I try to counsel people is if you find your, that your love has grown cold toward God, well, you, you need to rightly understand his majesty. Mm. You need to rightly understand his, his worth and his value and cry out to him that he would help you to understand his love. We love because he first loved us. 
the only way that you're going to be able to love God appropriately is to have strength to comprehend how high, how wide, how deep his love is, the way the Apostle Paul tells us to in the New Testament. And I really think there is there's a, a great tendency to miss that point. Just think, oh, I just need to love harder. I just need to love more. Well, you do. You need to be exhorted to do that. But the way that's going to happen is through faith. So can a person love God without delighting in him? No. No. Because, yeah, that's of the essence of it is becoming aware of who he is and finding joy and contentment in him. Yeah. That, that is what love looks like. Hopefully through all of these commands, we see again and again, his commandments are not burdensome. Yeah. You know, we, when we hear law today, so many people think, oh, law, oh boy, this is no good. Like, seriously, love God, love, love he who is a love himself. Um, this is so good for us. Hey, well, thank you again for joining us here at The Sword and the Trial. We want to remind you as you go that we would love for you to be a part of our fam. We are so thankful to people that have joined us and that are fighting with us. Check out founders.org. You can discover what it means to become a Founders Alliance member. And don't miss our conference that's coming up May 16th through the 18th. Is that right, Hannah? No, it's not right again. We're going to get it right at some point. through 16th. 14th through the 16th. You're going to miss it. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Louisville, Kentucky, sign up, register, go to founders.org for more information. 